This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Jay. And welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast, your podcast of going out and having a great time wherever you are. This week, we're talking about adventuring at the beach. We're going to be talking all about the different things we can do there and how it's different at the beach than any other place that you might go. Before we go on, we want to first introduce our guest host. This is Jay. And uh, Jay, tell us something about yourself. All right, I'm the co-owner of Dilly Green Bean Games. Um, I've worked for Artelsorian Games, done some freelance stuff for Cubicle 7. I am Blix's art student extraordinaire. keep myself quite busy. Current projects include G-Core, which is a modern face rip rule set, um, selling pretty well. We're also doing some sci-fi stuff for it this fall. And Jay, what's your full name? Jay Libby. Sorry about that. <laughs> Jay, are you working on any current projects? Yeah, we have um, a game called Xandora Galaxies, which is a tribute game to Fantasy Star. That we just finished up all the art for it. It's 200 pages long. Not sure when that's coming out. Probably sometime soon in the fall. And then I have Xandora Gaiden 4, which is coming out hopefully tomorrow, which is a mini setting that we're doing for the summer for G-Core. All right. Well, that sounds great, Jay. Please keep us in the loop. So, Jay, they can find you on uh, on Facebook, right? You can find me under House of J, or you can find me at dillygreenbeangames.com. Cool. We even have a small blog called The Farmer's Almanac. Okay. Just for uh, full disclosure, Jay and I have been friends for a very, very long time. Uh, we've worked together on several projects, Artalsorian, and I think just was it just Artalsorian that we worked on together? Yeah, except for the, the new Savage World card thing you had me working on. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing the Savage Worlds cards. Oh, wait a minute, we did some private stuff, too, like just our own stuff, like uh, the, the yearbooks, yeah, and some fusion stuff. Yeah, I've known Jay quite a while. John, you said that there were some comments. Uh, yes, uh, for episode 80, we actually had a comment from Matt Borselli. Episode 73 had a character contest. Is that character contest still going on? Info on Facebook was mentioned, but I don't have Facebook accounts, so where do I send my character? Peter? Well, John, what I need to do is, what we need to do is, we need to come up with a set of rules. That's one of the things that I, I, I haven't done yet. I've been very busy in my, my personal life, but I, I really need to take the time to do it because I really want to do this contest. Uh, we need to come up with a set of, of strict rules so that, you know, everybody knows exactly what they're doing and you won't get any complaints about, you know, people you know, not being accepted because they didn't follow some rule that they didn't know about. So we need to do that first. Uh, I'm going away next week, so I will do it on my vacation, and by the end of next week, we'll have those rules up. Sounds like a plan to me. So, on to the topic. The topic this week is adventuring at the beach. What prompted this topic was, I was remembering back in the 90s, it seemed like Every line of comics that were out there would have a special summer swimsuit issue or a to-the-beach episode. At the time, I always thought them so incongruous because they were a total break with the storyline, but yet they had a great appeal because they were not only a great break to the storyline, which might be blessing in disguise, but it also was an opportunity to see all the characters in not the standard dress that they seem to always have in comic books. And this is all true uh, in anime. 
It seems to me that every anime I've ever seen, no matter if it takes place in the jungle or in the middle of deep space, sooner or later they all end up at, at a beach or at a pool <laughs> or something having an episode that's fairly lighthearted. It's just a big change of pace for them. I said, well, why don't we think about adding this kind of an adventure to your campaign, whatever it might be, whether it's fringeworthy, whether it's riffs, whether it's D&D, what would it be like to suddenly go and change up the environment and have, you know, a totally different adventure that takes place at a beachfront? Also, our characters, you know, eventually at some point have to have a vacation. When you're gaming, you can always say, all right, your characters went on vacation, had a great time, all right, now let's get back to adventuring. Because if nothing happens, there's nothing to the game master. But if you're going to game master the vacation, then something has to happen. And why not at the beach? That's right. So I guess we need to think about what kinds of adventures would be good to have at a beach or what kind of adventures do we already know about that did take place at a beach. There is a a little-known story, probably nobody's ever read it, but it's called Shadow Over Innsmouth. It takes place up in New England, and it takes place at a seafront, which has to have a beach, and at some point in the episode, there's a whole bunch of critters that come storming out of the surf onto the beach. If that's your little beach adventure, it's a little different than uh, seeing uh, Annette Funicello or any of the other things that might be happening in most of the beach adventures you can think of. Yeah. There's the local uh, fauna in the, out there, too, you got to deal with. That's an example of an unusual beach-type adventure. Jay, I think you were telling me you ran a beach-type adventure at one time. Yeah, I ran some uh, intro superhero gaming with uh, Fabio and some models and on a beach and stuff just for for good laughs, and it went quite well, but the idea was go to the beach and outpose Fabio and try to get his phone number, and that was pretty much the, the whole adventure. <laughs> <laughs> was this a con adventure? I think it was. I think it was like my first port con up here in Maine where I actually ran that and it was it was pretty weird having the muscle bound stone dude who happened to be gay trying to get Fabio's phone number and like everybody <laughs> was like fighting over this, you know, I have to get his number and Fabio's like, I'm not that type of guy and there was like constant character clash between them. Yeah. Huh. I sort of reminded of uh, this is actually I was at a convention I th- running a table for selling tri- Tritech stuff. A couple guys walked up and we talked and one fellow had been running a fringeworthy campaign but more of like a fringe walker campaign. One of the players was a surfer and he was traveling the worlds looking for the perfect wave. Point Break takes place on a beach and with surfers. And here you have a beach uh, episode where people might go there to the beach for entertainment or for relaxation, and they find themselves embroiled in uh, drug dealers who are, are surfers. And actually, they were more than just surfers. They were just adrenaline junkies, right? I believe they were also bank robbers. Oh, was that it? They were bank robbers? Okay. There's a lot of stuff that could be happening down in, on the beach. Blix, what other things are there down on beaches that would be part of this environment that we'd want to include? Well, you got all those little rental shacks, you know, where you have uh, the guys rent out water jet, water skis. The lifeguard chairs is part of the scenery. That's that's always like a major part. Now, it depends on the beach and depends on where you are, West Coast, East Coast Bay. But a lot of times you'll have a sandbar out there, which is used to keep all the nasty critters out from coming in, you know, to the to the water. So, you mean a breakwater? Well, they, we call them a sandbar, but it's 
there's a section out there that's not not that deep. They built the sand up, and it keeps sharks and stuff out. Or it's supposed to mostly. Mostly, right? Right. However, you know that'd be kind of cool if you had uh, for for an adventure standpoint, like say you know you, you got deep ones coming in or something. You know, everybody's sitting on the beach, and you know, somebody makes a perception roll, and they notice this big creature step up and then drop back down into the water because he just stepped over the sandbar. So a prairie dog out on the sandbar. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> right. You see little. You see these creatures prairie dogging on the sandbar, and it's like, oh. And, and of course, you say, "Hey, look out there in the sandbar!" And everyone looks out, and they're gone. It's, they're right, exactly. And then they turn away, and you look out there, another one prairie dogs. You're like, no, it was right there. <laughs> sure, there is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, down in Florida, uh, when I was down there uh, a couple years back, they had what we called the hot dog girls, and they were girls that would had hot dog stands on the beach. They would dress in thongs, and and sell hot dogs to people. You know, I don't think half those people really wanted a hot dog. You know, they just went up to the stand. Because, I mean, these girls are, like, wearing nothing almost. So uh, th- that could always be a, a nice little um, distraction for the group. It's hot work leaning over those. Right. All those hot wieners. Yeah. I mean, those poor things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, I mean, how close are you to where Inn's mouth would be? You're very north of there. Yeah. So you're you're familiar with the northerly beaches. What, what's a beach up there like? I mean, like you go in the summertime. You ever take your family to the beach? We have rocks, as they said, on both sides of the beach. Um, <laughs> we have some pretty nasty riptide up here. Lots of horse flies, lots of mosquitoes. You, you can't get out of the, into the parking lot without getting swarmed. There's actually quite a lot of beach up here. The further north you go, the the more rockier it gets. Does the water ever get warm up there? No. Pretty much, you go in and you might as well be a preteen again. So, <laughs> so up there, instead of having a beach, would you have a boardwalk? Maybe one of those big piers that goes out into the water and it's really broad. There's one tourist one down in Old Orchard Beach, reminiscent of like Lost Boys. I've been out there at night back in my bachelor days, and it's crowded with people. It's kind of strange how everybody acts out on the beach at night. You can hear the waves coming in, but you really can't see them. And you can hear the music from the, the boardwalk. And there's an amusement park right there on the beach. It's pretty interesting. There's also, like, amusement parks a lot of times adjoining onto a beach. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, Bruce, um, I'm going next week for my vacation. I'm going to the beach. And uh, we're going to a place called Ocean City. Mm-hmm. It's got this big, long boardwalk on it. And it's got a, a huge, like, amusement park right at the very end of it. You know, food stands and stuff and, you know, traditional places that have been there since 1900. Uh, there's like a thing called Thrasher's Fries, which is this like iconic fry stand. But yeah, you have all that kind of stuff in you know, the cotton candy. Uh, we have a big thing with uh, caramelized popcorn, uh, you know, like a local brand that, that's really big. And people come back from the ocean. They always bring it back with them because you can't get it, you know, uh, you can't get it back here. But yeah, you got that whole thing, that whole amusement thing. You're right. You know, it's like every night. You know, there's hordes of people on the boardwalk and down the amusement park area. So if you had something crazy go on, I mean, you, you've got all kinds of mayhem that could that could happen in that. Right. Ferris wheel go rolling down the beach. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They've used that in Doctor Who a couple of times. Was it 1941? 1941, James Belushi. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> they also will have marinas attached to beaches. You could have a whole big set of big, sleek yachts and uh, sailboats. 
you know, there could be all kinds of, of people of various kinds on those boats, you know, where you have the rich and the and the poor and the the quick and the dead, uh, possibly all mixed in together at a marina and then spilling out onto the beach as well. In the Seattle area, they actually have these uh, deep water beaches. Puget Sound is pretty much a fjord carved out by glaciers, so there's a big drop-off, either in Lake Washington or in uh, Lake Union or off in, uh, or actually in the Puget Sound itself. So you got deep water stuff out happening out there, and yeah, sometimes they'll see killer whales out there swimming. You know, who knows what's else out there? Down in St. Petersburg, they have a pier that goes out of the water and, you know, has stuff on it. Um, but right there, right before you go out on the pier is the Salvador Dali Museum. You can even have very high-cultured things. Like, you, you can have museums. Uh, aquariums? Mm-hmm. And amongst all the high-class stuff, you got to have one of those Ripley's Believe It or Nots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> And maybe and maybe something in the Ripley's Believe It or Not is is real. Right. <laughs> That's where I'd hide out if I was something unusual. I imagine in the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, there's a big giant egg that they say that Ripley found. And- like an ostrich egg. No, 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 no. Like big, big, like 10-foot tall egg. Oh, wow. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, he just made that up. That's funny. And it turns out that it really was an egg that he found somewhere. And the thing hatches and, you know, little mini Godzilla comes out and starts, you know, torching through the boardwalk, breathing fire and radiation on people. Or like a pterodactyl or something. Yeah. (laughs) Right. What we're trying to talk about is all the different things that surround the beach as well as the beach itself that could be used to generate plot hooks and to give you points where the adventure can really take off. Some other things that I thought about was not the pretty side of the beach, but there might be a cannery where they have ships, fishing ships coming in, and who knows what they could be dragging off of the ships that they pulled up from the depths of the ocean. If you're doing a little bit more science fiction-y, more futuristic, or really just more upscale on the uh, on the expense side of it, you could have a whole aquatic arcology that's designed where you know you have little mini submersibles or you have uh, a restaurant that actually is under the water why am i reminded of star wars episode one with that opera that palpatine and anakin were watching and they had like that big globe of water with the weird looking mermaids swimming through Mm it as they're watching from the box but anyways the point is is that they could have something like that on the beach i've got one i am in the detroit area i'm in michigan our peninsulas have over 3,000 miles of shoreline between four of the five Great Lakes. Lighthouses are really good for your spooky adventures for Bureau 13. Fringeworthy mm-hmm. might have one. Hardwired oh. hinterlands, maybe. Oh, we've oh, got lighthouses all over the Michigan shoreline. Oh, don't forget the Zug Island Mermaid. Oh, of course, yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, the Michigan area has all sorts of cryptozoological things going on. And, yeah, the Zug Island, I was trying to remember that. Thank you, John, you former Michigander. Um, but, yeah, lighthouses, the old spooky, you know, any type of spooky mysteries there. Uh, let's see, on the west coast of Michigan, we have sand dunes, which I'm sure all sorts of things prop up out of there because there's pine forests that are all lining the western side of the state. Uh, the eastern side of the state, like, let's see, Lake Erie, Lake Huron, more rocky-type shores because I used to go to, up to Lake Huron as a boy. A lot of touristy little cabins and bungalows and stuff are along the coastline there. Oh, don't forget all the lakes we have. We have all you can, beaches. You don't have to, have to be an ocean to have right. a beach. You can have a, a lake to have a beach. 
and none of that nasty itchiness from the salt water after you get out. Jay, do you have any uh, any other places you want to mention in, in your area that has beaches or water? Or oh, see, in Stephen King's anthology, um, the Skeleton Crew, there's a story I think it's called The Raft, and it's about these teenagers that swim out on the lake, and um, they get trapped by this oil slick that eats them, kind of like the blob, which is great for like a rural beach setting out in the uh, isolated pond, um, even like Lake Placid, which took place in Maine but totally butchered the main the main culture. Um, took place on a lake there you know there was a beach where betty white was feeding the giant alligator cows and horses you know stephen king's given maine like a lot of subculture of uh, dark stories that take place around oceans take place around fresh water but there's tons of ponds up here and tons of lakes um there's like the allagash river that has that flows into different lakes that have beaches um that are very isolated where the only wildlife you see are like moose and when you're swimming in the water, you always wonder what's going to come out and grab you. Kind of reminds me of the movie Piranha, the original Roger Corman. After I saw that, I, for years and years, I was always like concerned about even swimming in rivers, which the safest place in the world to swim when it comes to creatures living in the water is a river. You know, we would go back to West Virginia and visit family, and of course, that's where we swam. We'd swim in, you know, these the water in hole is what we called it. You know, the river got really wide. You know, we'd swim in the river, and there's nothing. I mean, it's really, it's it's about as safe as can be. Now, having said that, you go down to Florida, and you go swim in the river, you may end up being lunch. Now, Florida's a different story. Right, but generally, when you think of, like, a West Virginia river, it's safe. The only thing you have to worry about, maybe, is, like, moccasins or, or something like that. But they're easy to avoid. Okay, so let's assume that, as in all good adventures like this, your entire group is going off to the beach. Are you ever off the job? If you're playing Fringeworthy, when you go to the beach, are you still Mr. Fringeworthy Explorer 24-7, expecting anything to happen at any time? This is especially true for a game like Bureau 13. You can go there expecting anything to happen anywhere. Same thing with if you're playing a D&D type game. Are you ever off the job is the, is the big question, because that's going to affect... What you're going to do there, uh, what you're willing to wear, and what kind of equipment you might bring with you. Three ways I, I kind of thought about looking at this was because, I mean, it's obviously there's an infinite number of games out there. So let's just kind of say, let's look at a game like, let's say, Fringeworthy, okay, where you go out and you have a job on the Fringe Pass. But when you come back to Earth, you're kind of theoretically off the job, though you're still a world famous, you're a celebrity on Earth. So that is going to be a little different, okay? Then there's the other possibility, which is you're a Bureau 13 agent, where anything could happen at any time, but you're taking a break. You're, you're going home to get some of that sanity back that you've lost by going against the creatures that stalk the night, okay? And then the third one was, let's say you're doing a uh, medieval D&D-type group. And just try to look at the, these beach adventures from those three lenses to see how things might be different from one or another. Okay? One of the things, we've had this issue many, many times with our gaming groups. Our game master will sometimes force us to not have our stuff on us. You know, like our, our guns or our, you know, our, your, you know, somebody carries around a sword. It's like, you took the sword to the beach, really? Where, where did you put that in your, your swim trunks, you know? We have some guys that are, you know, diehards, and they're like, "Well, I wouldn't wear swim trunks. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wearing my trench coat." I mean, and this this translates, you know, when our characters go out and have a drink at the bar and stuff, you know. And, and we've gotten to the point to where 
we 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 basically use that term, Bruce. We use on the clock or off the clock. And if we say we're going to the bar off the clock, it means that we're going as citizens. We're not going armed to the teeth. We're not going. What this allows is, if you're going to a bar, uh, you might have a small handgun, like a backup handgun or a knife on you, maybe. For me, for my when I'm playing, my characters never take anything with them. You know, they go as if they're on vacation. You know, it's like, hey, why would I bring a gun to a bar? I was going to have drinks. You know, if somebody messes with me, I'm going to walk away. So yeah, if my character was going to the beach, I probably wouldn't have anything on me. If I took a bag with me, I might have a handgun in the bag if, you know, I have enemies or I'm a Bureau 13 agent and I know I could run into, you know, Cthulhu at the beach. I might bring something, but it would be small and it would be, you know, in a something I could carry in a bag that I would leave on the beach. But then again, I mean, maybe not because if I'm going to go get in the water, am I going to leave a bag on the beach some kid could dig into and pull a gun out of? Probably not. So that's where the 13th pocket comes in handy. For those of you not familiar with the 13th pocket, uh, bureau agents have either a shoulder bag or briefcase or whatever they, they have. They can have the option of having what's called the 13th pocket. It's basically a bag of holding that only the agent and, and those he designates can access. So yeah, you can leave that uh, RPG up on the beach. It, it, it's within 50 pounds. It will fit in the bag. <laughs> All right. So if I'm playing a bureau 13 agent, maybe I bring some stuff with me just because it's my job. But let's say sans that. Let's say I'm a fringeworthy agent or I'm um, – I'll get to the D&D in a second. <laughs> I'm a fringeworthy agent. You know, yeah, I'm going to go to the beach with nothing because I figure if I'm at the beach and Cthulhu comes out of the water, my handgun's not going to do anything anyway. So that's not really going to help me. As for – you know, your, Bruce, you were saying as for like a D&D type adventure – in, if I'm in a, that kind of world, my sword is going with me everywhere. But that's the kind of society it is. If you're allowed to carry a sword in that society, you're allowed to carry it anywhere you go. If you're going to a beach for the purpose of actually swimming and things like that, you're not going to be wearing full plate. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, no. I'd be wearing regular clothes and I would take a sword with me. I probably wouldn't even be wearing it. I'd probably just bring it with me. I just, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around D&D characters going to the beach. I mean, I'm sure they did, but... I've just never seen that. that. That would make a good cartoon or something. There's lots of uh, situations in, in these kinds of movies where they'll get someplace and they'll strip down and go swimming next to the waterfall. Sure. So, yeah, they, they get out of their stuff. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of options there, especially in a and d type world, because you've got magical protections like rings and things like that that will give you bonuses to your, you know, as, as if you were wearing armor type things. And there's people who have spells that could cast a spell on you that would give you the same protection as if you were wearing chain mail. I mean, that's all part of the D&D game. So you should consider that when you're, when you're saying, okay, we're going to go to the beach, and therefore that means that if we want to have protection, then the mage or the equipment is going to have to be chosen that's going to be appropriate to going to the beach. Uh, if we want to be protected, mm-hmm. then these are sorts of things we're going to have to set, you know, plan ahead for or at least see if we have them to bring them with us. Before we get too much into gear, because that's what we're kind of talking about here, is we ought to talk about swimsuits. All right? Quite a variety of swimsuits that are out there, and I categorized them. And I thought that some of them made more sense depending upon the roles that you would play as far as be, as part of being in a group that was going to the beach and, and having fun on a beach. 
Bruce, yeah, that must have been hard work going through all those swimsuit ca- pictures. It was grueling. I left no thong unturned. <laughs> <laughs> what I do for this podcast, I'll tell you, you, you guys have no idea. The first category is the string outfit. And this is any swimsuit that's designed primarily for legal modesty and to draw attention to bodily attributes. The big advantage of it is it does not limit mobility except for modesty reasons. You know, there are just some motions that you can't do in certain swimsuits. Not modestly. Most swimsuits, you have to be careful about doing handstands, for example. There's the athletic bikini, which has a bare midriff, but then it has good support top and bottom and good sand protection in areas that you want to keep sand out of. There's the one piece, which provides the best support and skin coverage while still showing off, you know, your athletic body attributes. Then we jump up to the triathlon, which is designed to be used in and out of water with thigh to neck skin coverage. It provides support for additional equipment and it provides uh, maximum legal protection. You can go anywhere wearing one of these things and no one's going to say, oh, you can't come in this in here, you're wearing a swimsuit. But it's designed to get wet and then to dry off. Most of the materials that are in these triathlon suits uh, uh, will absorb little to no water, uh, even though you might be in it. And they're relatively cool and you can wear them anywhere. If that's a consideration, these triathlon swimsuits are really very good. There's also the wetsuit, which provides maximum thermal protection, and it also provides the best non-magical threat protection that doesn't raise too many eyebrows. But it's hot, out of the water, and it does limit mobility. So those are the different kinds of swimsuits that I saw. Anybody have any that you think I missed? What about uh, the uh, Speedo? I would fall under the string suit, I would say. So we're trying to cover men here, too, and then basically whatever... Yeah, and there are string bikinis, bottoms for men to. What, what, what about the old, good old-fashioned baggy trunks? Yeah. The one piece in the man would be like the baggy trunks, right? right. Well, it depends on the era too. If you're talking like Victorian times, uh, you're talking like almost wearing a full dress for women, and guys mm-hmm. are 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 showing ankle, and that's about it. <laughs> I was thinking more of a modern setting or the fantasy setting where they pretty much have the same lack of body taboos as they do in modern times. You mentioned Fringeworthy, which means you have to include the Victorians. Well, yeah, the Victorians are going to have a problem. They go to Venice Beach, their eyes are going to open up and just open up until their skulls burst. Right, but they would probably be more interested in wearing the triathlon-type outfits then. Okay, and they do have them for both men and female. Anyway, so these are the choices that I saw as what you might be wearing when you go to the beach. It just seems to me that if you're going to the beach purely to have a good time and to uh, maybe, you know, get some romantic possibilities going or just to, to relax as much as possible, you might go a lot more toward the string or athletic outfit. Because you're not planning on doing anything. You're not trying to prepare every possible moment. But if you're in a group that is a mixed group where, you know, not everybody is off the clock. Some people are on, some people are off. Then you start getting more of a mix like this. The people who have more body taboos or if they're trying to hide tattoos, they might go more for the one piece. If you're just going there to relax, then everybody can basically wear as little that they, as they wish. Uh, or as much as they wish. It just kind of falls into the, the personality type of, of who your adventuring group is. But if you have people who are 
on the job, then they might want to go more toward the triathlon outfit because you can wear uh, body armor like that. Or you could even come dressed not in a swimsuit, but if you're trying to help out on a beach and something's happening in the water and you're dressed in a full suit of body armor, you're going to have a hard time helping out. Hmm. A lot of times you have to decide up front what kind of roles you're going to be able to do if you're there as protection or if you're there as lookout, you know, whatever it might be. If you were a bureau agent, mind you, if you could have the bureau shades on, be wearing your wrist PDA for, you know, just, well, I want a watch on, you would blend in. I mean, you have sunglasses and you have a watch on. Oh, fine, you're going to have a tan line. Big, you know, but still, you'd be able to have that there and you're just relaxing. You got shades and a watch on. You're kicking back in a lawn chair, sipping something, and, you know, you can still keep an eye out for things. This is a bit whimsical on my part. On men's swim trunks on the inside of the liner, you might have this little pocket that you might be able to keep, like, change in or a key. Put a 13th pocket on that pocket. That would be nothing funnier than you pulling... I, I don't know how big of an object you can keep in the 13th pocket. It's been a while since I've looked at that. I don't really use that in my games. But how big of an object could you keep in the 13th pocket? Up to 50 pounds. So it's not a size. It's a weight issue. Yeah, but the opening... you got to be able to pull it out of the opening, can't you? Don't you? Yeah. The opening is going to be somewhat limited by the uh, other material that you have. I mean, how far can you stretch open the opening of a 13th pocket? Yeah, so pulling an M60 out of your Speedo, although it would be intimidating and funny as all get out, may not work if the opening is only something that you could keep a quarter or a thing of keys in. Imagine a sword with no guard on it. You know, you have the hilt and the blade. You know, it's only as wide as the... Or as big around as the hilt itself, the normal like holding part. You could pull out like a you know a four foot sword out of your pants. Yeah, a thirteenth pocket inside the swimsuit that would come in useful. And even if you had like a, a small automatic pistol with that, that would be handy. Obviously, this is only for Bureau Thirteen, fringe worthy. D and D, yeah. Oh, a very enterprising wizard or an artificer. Oh yeah, that would be great. Maybe hardwired hinterland, depending on the environment that you're in, could have that pulled off. But, yeah, I would say as a bureau agent, definitely the bureau shades and the PDA. Having that on you still would just be amazingly helpful. So, so Jay, what do you think? About gear or what you should wear at the beach? (laughs) (laughs) Anything, whatever. Sure. In a situation where, you know, a military unit and you have time off, being someone who served in the military... We used to go to the beach all the time. We didn't bring guns with us. And, you know, if something happens at the beach, you improvise. I mean, there's plenty of things there to use. If you are assigned to protect the world from things that could just spontaneously happen, you know, go prepared. Go go lightweight. And if you're playing D&D, all you got to do is, like, look at what was Excalibur where they're swimming naked in the water, you know, but they still had their armor sitting there against the tree. They still had their weapons. I mean... In a, in a water situation, a weapon is just as good, if not a weapon, and a spellcaster shooting lightning into the water is a pretty quick fix to any problem. So, <laughs> even a taser in modern times against a water creature, you've ever been in the water and been electrocuted, it, it's an exhilarating experience, but you don't get up from it right away. Bruce, are you ready? Can we talk about um, you're at the beach and you didn't bring any equipment with you and you're caught unarmed. What do you do now? 
That would depend an awful lot on whether you had prepared. If you literally are caught without anything, then you're, as you say, you're going to have to improvise. If you were planning on the possibility that something might happen, you could have submerged gear in the water. You could press a button and it could inflate and get washed up onto the beach real quick. Or if you knew that you were going to be using a certain set of cabanas, you could go in the previous night, dig a hole and put gear in boxes under the sand just in case. If you're in Bureau 13, there's all kinds of remote control vehicles that you could have off in the parking lot, or even you could call in, you know, remotely uh, aerial vehicles and, and things like that, UAVs, that could just come flying in with all kinds of stuff that you need if you press the panic button. Yeah. But if you don't have all this stuff, then you're having to improvise. So, yeah, let's talk about improvising. Okay. okay. I'll talk about improvising. If you're doing, sure. if you're doing, doing a modern game, you're on a beach... Say you have a, a vendor, they get extension cords, take the nearest electrical appliance, throw it in the water. Gas tanks that fuel grills, great explosives, vehicles with gas tanks. Um, and if you're doing medieval, well, again, it's, it's a wizard and a, and a magic wand. But um, for more modern stuff, as long as there's an electrical supply or a fuel supply nearby, you don't need all the extravagant hardware. It's a matter of just a spark here and there and a long enough extension cord. I like the the point that you made about the uh, the tank there. If you got a cabana out there that you're cooking hot dogs or something like that, right? You're not going to have a gas line out there. You may or may not have electricity out there to to run the you know run the grill. However, most grills that you can buy have a propane option, especially if they're portable like that. So yeah, propane tanks would be highly likely in any kind of thing out on the beach that they're cooking any kind of food in. So I would imagine that that would be a really viable option, and propane will go up like nobody's business. Oh, yeah, those little propane bottles that you can attach to the grills. Oh, yeah, they're small. They're maybe not even a foot long, and you can rig something to get them to blow. Hell, you could throw them up, and you have the one guy who just happened to bring a gun. Bang, and it'll, it'll explode. Yes. Yeah, but, but why bring a gun? I mean, why not use a lighter? I mean, there's plenty of people that smoke on the beach or smoke at the beach. I mean, if you're really going unprepared, you're having to deal with a situation off the cuff without any gear that you normally have, how would you go about handling it? It's a good way to teach players about you know, collateral damage, collateral items that you can use when there's absolutely nothing that you normally would have on hand to, to conduct you know, a mission or protect people or whatever you're doing. Those uh, lifeguard viewing areas, and sometimes they have like a little room up on stilts. Mm -hmm. First of all, they're going to have flares for emergency purposes to oh. warn people. They're going to have smoke for the same reason, but you can use that to lay down smoke. A lot of durable lifeguard equipment is made out of Kevlar. So you pick up one of those flotation devices. If it's got rope uh, grabs or good holds onto it, you've got yourself a, a, a decent shield for body protection. Sure. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, Jay, you said before about a car, you know, let's not talk about blowing a car up. Let's say you get into the car and you run into whatever it is fronting you. You know, you got some creature coming up out of the water. You take that car and, you know, run it down on the beach and just run the thing over. A lot of people who police the beaches, they have ATVs that are going to be down on the beach. And you could co-op one of those if you because a lot of vehicles, like your cars, your average car, is not going to make it on the beach. It's going to sink in, and it's, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, the yeah. sand doesn't give good traction with normal street 
tires. I'm thinking of my car. I have an FJ Cruiser. I put that thing in four-wheel drive, and I'll tear down the beach. Well, yeah. <laughs> most, most, most cars don't right. do that. <laughs> yeah. Lots of stuff you have, like those uh, ski-doos and jet skis of various kinds. You can mount a, a pretty good assault from one location to another, especially against an aquatic-based threat. Yeah, imagine some, some aquatic creature coming up out of the water and, you know, you, you tie a rope onto your uh, your jet ski and somebody else ties a rope ties the other end of their jet ski and you close lines that thing at high speed. That would be pretty bad. Oh. So, yeah, you get creative and you could, you could come up with a lot of um, weapons and even, you know, weapons that would do a great deal of damage. Now, mind you, this would not be safe for you. Imagine you're on that jet ski and you're flying past this thing at high speed with a rope tied to your jet ski and you hit it. The thing is tougher than you thought it would be. You get bashed up against the front of the uh, the jet ski. I mean, most likely you fly over the top of it, but you know you could get crunched up in it. Um, yeah. But but you know it's a chance you take, and you're trying to stop some major threat. One of the best things that you can do, since you're on a beach, is throw sand in its eyes. <laughs> right. Rocky beach. I mean, heck, at the very least, you you know pick up a rock and either distance weapon or just bash it. You know, if you're Desperate, I mean. If you're either in Hawaii or one of those faux Hawaii places, grab some tiki torches. It's full of, of burning alcohol or oil, actually, and is used and try loving those at the thing. And those tiki torch holders are made out of bamboo. They usually have the ends of them cut on an angle, making a razor-sharp point. Yeah. Because they have to drive those things into the sand, so they're sharp. Good anti-vampire weapon. But you were mentioning the, uh, the rocky beaches. Well, you know, take rocks... You know, put that into a towel, you've got yourself a sling. And you put enough of them into a towel, and you've got yourself a pretty good uh, mace or club. Mm-hmm. Clamshells, those things are razor sharp. Well, Jay, up in Maine, the lobsters are so plentiful, you could just run out and grab one of those and, like, run at the creature with that, right? And it could just snip them with his claws. You're better off getting a case of the crabs, man. But I'm bummed. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Jay Libby. The gamer generation is you. license 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.